Hey, welcome back to another episode of State of the Art. Uh, sorry we were away for a couple of weeks. We were dealing with the world, which I'm sure many of you are right now as well. Uh, it's been kind of an intense year, 2020, so far. I hope you're all doing well and are safe and healthy at home. We're going to try and uh, crank out some more podcasts for you to listen to during this time. So we have a lot of really interesting artists lined up that are going to be coming in the next couple of weeks. If you haven't heard last week's episode, and by last week, I mean a couple of weeks ago, but you can still uh, play it. It's with Angelo Vermeulen. And it's really actually pertinent to right now because Angelo was uh, in a Mars simulation for three months. Um, and we talk a lot about what that's like to be stuck inside. Um, and how he got through it and how he worked with other crew members in this Mars simulation and sort of tips and strategies for how to stay healthy and uh, engaged with the world while being trapped in a small place. So in some way, that's uh, relevant more now than ever. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can. You can send me an email at gabe at thestateoftheart.org or you can always uh, message us on Instagram at stateoftheart or on Twitter at stateoftheart. Um, we'd love hearing from you. And we'd love to uh, hear some tips or ideas that you have for us during these times. If you want us to you know, angle the show in a certain way, um, just send us any thoughts that you have. Um, we're definitely open to them. Um, this week, we have a really fun episode uh, with Heidi Lee. She designs hats. These are fashion pieces, art pieces. Uh, you may have seen them worn by people like Jennifer Lopez. Uh, so she's really exciting. And it's, it's a little bit different than some of our previous guests because um, she makes wearable artwork. Uh, so we talk a lot about her different designs um, and how she's been inspired over the years by mythology and storytelling to create these works of art. Uh, so uh, I look forward to hearing from you. And without further ado, let's talk to Heidi Lee. Heidi Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me here. Um, so maybe when we get started, you can tell us just a little bit about how you got into hat making. Was there a specific moment where this all kind of clicked together or have you always dreamed of making hats? Uh, I would say I kind of fell into it and it happened early in the sense that I was, when I was a kid, I remember going to um, my uncle's factory in like the garment district area and just like exploring and just looking around and there were tons of um hat makers around making a lot of like old sunday like style hats like that you see down south so um i just remember just like being around that creativity to begin with since i was a kid and then um just like falling into going to a store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, where I ended up apprenticing under this milliner, Victor Osborne. And he was making like, like a little bit different, like edgier hats. And I just like decided to just like work with him and, um, through that and also reworking with my uncle on my own hats. Um, I just started um, making hats together and and then starting to do my own eventually over time. And were you always interested in hats? Like, <laughs> was there a, a particular moment as a child besides stepping into your uncle's shop that inspired you? Um, or was, did it really come from these experiences? I would say like when I was a kid, um, wearing hats really were like a comfort zone for me in places that were unfamiliar or um, just like a whole new environment. It just helped me like be in like this headspace that I could just like uh, put on like a, a cap and just like go and go off on an adventure. 
<laughs> that makes sense. Uh, what was the first hat that you created when you started out? Uh, the first hat that I created was uh, origami hat while I was apprenticing under Victor Osborne. Um, it's like based on trouble wits, which is a type of paper magic that Houdini would use in his tricks um, where he would permutate the shapes of like one single sheet of paper, but then depending on how it was folded, um, you can morph it from like window shades to like a flower vase to like a hat basically. So I made my own version um, in a collaboration with my friend, Brendan Kellogg. He went to Harvard for architecture school and he and I, we came up with this like pattern that um, uh, made a paper magic where um, you can like pretty much morph it into three different shapes. And they were both different, like each of them were different types of styles of hats that you could <laughs> wear. And were you inspired by Houdini? Like how you done research into this particular type of paper magic or how did that well, come I into the picture? I stumbled across it um, just like researching uh, because I just like to research a lot of different like topics, like completely off subject. It could be like anything um, from like sailor Valentine's to like, you know, North mythology, like what have you. Um, it's just like whatever piques my interest. Like I just start following it, like kind of like um, choose your own adventure theme. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we should mention that these are not everyday hats, <laughs> right? These are not what you picture. Maybe when you picture a baseball hat, these are art pieces that you've created. And um, this origami hat, for instance, it it moves and changes. Is that what I'm getting from this? Yeah. Like, uh, it's like almost like a, you could say it, you can morph it um, into itself. I guess you, I'd have to show you. Yeah, that's okay. We'll put up an image of it on our social media. But what does it start? Does it start off as like a flat piece or does it always yeah, it's like a flat piece of paper with a pattern on it? And then you score it um, with a bone folder uh, and like you score it on the lines and and then you start um, perf like almost like perforations. You score it where where the line is and, and then you start um, bending it like origami uh, into it like the pattern that um, the lines create basically from wherever you scored. <laughs> so does every hat come out looking the same or is there some sort of um, user interaction that could change the shape of it? Or does everyone have sort of a different way that they fold the hat? You can definitely scale it. Um, so it can, it can be like um, from the size of a Barbie to like a human scale to even bigger if you like. Um, so it, that's what's great about it. And what's strange about it as well is that no matter what size it is, uh, it still um, maintains um, the amount of time that you have to uh, pretty much invest into it is about the same two hours. To, to build the hat itself. Yes. Mm -hmm. And do you like that? The idea that uh, the wearers have to sort of invest their own time into the, the creation of their own hat? Yeah, uh, I've done several workshops with um, kids to like um, young adults to like older people, and um, like no matter what age they are, they just like they love the process of doing it because it's very methodical and almost in some ways kind of soothing because um, it's just like repetition over and over again. And so, who wore this origami hat once you made it? Once you made your first design? So it started off as like a hat invite that I created. 
for Victor Osborne during Fashion Week, New York Fashion Week. And I came up with this idea of uh, promoting um, his his brand, Victor Osborne, and creating miniature origami hats that fit into miniature hat boxes that were clear. And they would be almost like a op- curiosity object, um, a cabinet of curiosities. So it would be clear and you could look into it and it was a circular hat box. And it would say, um, Cécine Pau and Chapeau, which <laughs> means it's not a hat in French. It's like a surrealist joke. Like a Magritte, and, uh, Magritte reference. Yes. And uh, Victor Osborne, he loves French um, culture. He was living there for a few years um, shortly after after this. Um, so he he speaks French um, fluently. And he, he loved the idea. He wanted to actually end up um, kind of um, mass manufacturing it, like full scale. Um, but um, I, I don't know where it, like, where it went, but he was definitely like um, talking to factories in China about it. So, and you got this job just by wandering into his hat shop. Yes. <laughs> enough. You just wandered in one day and said, Hey, I want to create hats with you. Or how did that conversation take place? Yes. Uh, basically that's what happened. I just like came and uh, was just really interested in what he was making. And I, I loved his angle on how, how he was making hats because uh, when I was a kid, I, I'm used to seeing like uh, Sunday service, like church hats that like ladies down South wear, you know? Um, so I just like seeing it done in a more fresh, vibrant, like more young um, angle, like really like kind of interest piqued my interest again. Um, Did you come to him with a specific idea? I just think it's so interesting. I talked to so many artists who say, you know, their first entry into the world of making what they do now for a living <laughs> was just by wandering into a specialist shop or to talk to another artist and say, hey, I really want to find out more about this. And then 10 years later, they're doing that for a living, you know. Um, I'm just kind of curious. Did you have a strategy or were you just curious at the time? It was just like really like uh, me just like curi- being curious really at the end of the day. I, I just like to just... I- when it comes to like learning, I'm like a sponge. I just like to soak up like whatever I can, um, in, in, a, in whatever like travels I, I have along the way in New York city. And what's great about New York is like, you never know what's right around the corner. So, uh, like you could, who knows who you'll bump into. Um, like, uh, for example, you, you, I could bump into, for example, um, Rose McGowan, um, I just saw her at like a New York Fashion Week event for um, this fashion line. And um, I was like, that's what's great about New York. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so many creative people that are just wandering around. You never know what's going to happen. Or I guess not wandering around now. Everybody should be staying inside now. (laughs) We're doing this episode right in the middle of the first day when New York has just announced, um, you know, the mandatory staying at home. Um, How is that going for you so far? Uh, It's definitely kind of got me off balance a little bit, Uh, especially because it's almost like a slow apocalypse in some ways, the way that uh, it's manifesting the... um, how everything is just like shutting down really. Are you still working on designs right now or do you find that it's hard to work during these times? I mean, I, I am. It, it's funny. Like I always am working on my, on my own stuff, like just like at all times of the day. So 
like it really um in some ways like forces me to work on things but then also like I already am working on things so it's just like the same kind of mode yeah it's always an interesting question for me I feel like so many people expect artists to produce some amazing material when they're in dire circumstances. But also sometimes I just don't want to think about anything. You know, I just want to like do a puzzle on my couch for four hours. I don't want to have to think about like creating the next thing, but I think everybody works in different ways. Yeah. Like, um, I'm also reading right now, um, the Sandman comics. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're really, really like wonderfully like, written um graphic novels i highly recommend it if you ever get a chance to just like sink your teeth into like the first one and then you'll just keep like continuing the saga of and there's like there's plenty more after so that's the neil gaiman sandman right yes yeah so that's a good tip for people that are stuck at home right now there's a lot of them to read yeah Uh, there's good books out there but getting back to your work um you know, I think one of your most famous hats that people may have seen in the media is the endless echo hat. Can you describe how that looks and sort of the story of how it came to be? Sure. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of movie references towards it, um, where they think it's like something from like the never ending story or like the Chronicles of Riddick. Um, but, um, in some ways, like I just like wanted to create something, um, like what's what's great about it is that it's eight overlapping faces, including your own. And it's almost like a rotoscopy in some ways where when you're wearing it, it's like an animated piece. Hmm. So um, as you turn your head, um, like your own face blends with the proportions of the hat. So like the noses on the hat start blending with your own nose and then the mouth as well. And then eyes, et cetera. So your uh, your real face is in the center of the hat and around are how many faces kind of circling around your head? Uh, there's seven other faces, including your own, which would be eight. And it references like Hellenic classical antiquity. And um, it reimagines the myth of echo and narcissus and how we live in like a post-internet age where uh, we're always being um, surveillanced by the media and um, just like you know, video cameras everywhere and how we live in like the millennial age of the selfie where it's all like about, look, look at me. (laughs) Right. In this case, then you have seven other faces to look at as well. Exactly. (laughs) And who is the face that you, you chose for these other faces that surround your own eyes? Um, They're supposed to be pretty like generic in some senses. So um, referencing like classical antiquity, like statues, like, um, like, so they're supposed to kind of just, they're not really supposed to reference a specific face per se. Um, but that's what I like about it. That, so that it's almost anonymous, but at the same time, there's some person personality at the same time. It, it's like a interesting, um, blend, blend. Um, like I have other ideas in the future of maybe having the faces even animated, um, where like one's smiling or one's sad or hmm. like I'm um, doing different collaborations with um, with other people um, to kind of create um, other other iterations but that's to be discussed in, in the future do you ever customize the endless echo hats like do you ever uh, scan people's faces or make custom versions of this 
Uh, yeah. Um, like there's been a few millionaires that I've, I've made custom pieces for like, uh, the socialite Demando, whose partner is Eric Javits of the Javits center family. Mm-hmm. He, um, wanted to make a custom, um, Swarovski piece out of, uh, Fuchsia Swarovski's, um, where, um, the whole thing would be encrusted and I had never done one like that before, but he had this brilliant idea of doing that. Um, so he, and also he wanted to have it so that there was a black line, um, almost like a yarmulke, hmm. um, kind of placed on top, but with black crystals. So he had this whole idea and, um, he, he commissioned me to make the piece and I, um, started to collaborate with him just to make sure that the integrity of the hat was, was done well. So we kind of worked on it together and then, um, it became a sensation and a hit on the red carpet once he wore it for, um, Vina del Mar, which was like a huge, uh, Latin festival for music in Chile. And yeah. Are these pieces one of a kind or are they done in editions or do you, are they kind of like open editions? They're open editions, I would say. Oh, nice. And what's great is like his, his face was scanned. Like each person that I I make a piece for, they're all like, they they all get scanned. And then um, we go from there with the SEL file and then make sure that it um, is proportionate to their face so that their chins align with the bottom of, of the hat and like their eyes match up and everything. So, so the people have uh 3d scans created of their heads yes, and then and you, just- how do you fabricate the actual hat itself? Uh, it's like we scale it and then we also make sure that it, it's like done well um, through like programs like Rhino and, um, you know, other like finishing programs. And is it 3D printed in the end or is it created by another mean? Yeah, it, they're, they're all 3D printed at the moment, but they can also be translated into like other plastics like polyethylene and so forth um once like once like um it's it's possibly mass produced if if in the future dates i guess and you've had some pretty famous people that wear the endless echo hat <laughs> i think like probably most notably recently j-lo wore one in her music video is that was that right yeah it's true <laughs> how did that come about uh, they just contacted me like cold email through my website and you really never know who's like looking at your websites at the end of the day. Like, and just like my, my hats have been memed and like, you know, shared on Reddit and many other outlets and social media, like Twitter, like Natasha Leon, like love the hat and retweeted it. And, um, like, like, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if I can really disclose people that. <laughs> That's okay. Want to buy the hat in the future, but like there was potentially uh, one that I was going to be making um, for a very huge event at the Met Museum. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think you can infer what that event might be. Um, but you just got like a straight up email from J Lo, or was J Lo's people that said, "Hey, it's, always, <laughs> it's like always like a crew or a team of people that right. contact you." And then did you actually get to meet JLo and model the hat for her? Like, did you scan her head like you did for other people? I had met her before um, and she was good with eye contact and like gave me a smile, which was nice. Um, (laughs) But I'm not sure if she really made 
like put two and two together to know that that was me in the past that I met her. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's funny how things uh, come come around full circle, really. And how does it feel to see your hats out in the wild once you've created them? I mean, just because these are wearable works of art, really. It's like your your gallery kind of floats around the world and could be featured at any moment, unlike maybe more traditional painting or sculpture. I would say my hats are kind of borderline between art and fashion. So you could even categorize them as sculpture. Mm-hmm. Like I, I copyrighted my designs because like over time, I've just realized that I just have to be smarter um, with my business and being a designer and trying to create original work. Um, you just need to like take heed and um, know, know what's happening in the world because people will try to rip you off at the sure. end of the day. And what's that process like for copywriting one of these hats? Uh, I mean, I, I've done it thankfully through volunteer lawyer for volunteer lawyers for the arts, um, VLA. They've been a really great resource um, for artists such as myself um, who like have the talent but um, might not necessarily have the financial um, like sorted out to be able to um, like have a lawyer on call at all times. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a great resource too, to mention for other people that are listening to the podcast. Um, So you have a series called Parasol Skeleton Hats. Um, Can you describe how this series looks and tell us sort of how it came about? So they kind of look like gutted uh, skeletal remains of like abandoned parasols. Um, Like my inspiration was... um, based on Japanese mythology of Karakaso Bakis, which are um, objects that gain spirits or souls after existing for a hundred years. Hmm. Um, like every, even everyday household objects, um, they're called yogais. And um, once a hundred years uh, pass, um, they gain um, almost like anthropomorphic um, like characteristics like uh like the Karakaso obaki they usually have like one tongue sticking out and like an eyeball and then like they hop around on one foot (laughs) (laughs) they're really interesting looking (laughs) how how are they an influence for this particular hat is it the idea that the hat itself would kind of be imbued with the power of some other animal or person or i'm kind of trying to draw the comparison here they're like the skeletal ghost spirits of century-old parasols. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. <laughs> so, um, they're stripped and gutted to their bones to reveal their architecture of decay. And these are parasols. Maybe you have like the stories behind these parasols that were left behind. Do you ever think about them when you're designing each one? Uh, like, it's it's funny. Like, I I started doing them just like for just um just for my own pleasure. Really, um, it was a collaboration with um this classical um music um collective called um nouveau classical project and they like combined fashion and um music classical music together and like they just like reached out to me and they loved what i was already doing and they wanted me to um make some pieces for them and that's how like i i just like ended up making these parasol hats and then um i ended up taking some classes at fit and in hat making or haberdashery millinery classes and um 
there was a nationwide open contest to all art students across America that were going to design schools um, from the Met Museum Costume Institute. Um, so like I applied for this accessory design contest that uh, pretty much encompassed um, a lot of surrealist work and the overlap between Elsa Schiaparelli and Prada because um, the exhibition at the time was called Impossible Conversations between Elsa Schiaparelli and, and Mucha Pro, Prada, um, who are both Italian designers, but um, from different eras. Um, one's from the 1920s and the other is like present day now. So just like their conversation together and um, how they are similar but different at the same time. Hmm, that's fascinating. It seems like a lot of your hats are inspired by mythology. And uh, I'm just kind of curious, do you have a background in literature or do you just always kind of stay open to new experiences and are reading a lot? Is that how this all comes about? Yeah, like uh, when I was a kid, the one big gift that my dad gave to me and my brother was um, reading us stories like fairy tales. And he would always be reading to us like in different voices and he did all the like voiceovers and everything. He, he's just like a very a gifted storyteller as well. And, um, I think, um, also he was a teacher. Mm. So like growing up with like an elementary school teacher as your father, um, he just like tried to, um, imbue in us like all the stories that he could basically. Yeah. My dad is also a teacher. He taught uh, college and it's interesting because I feel like he was constantly inspiring me to make creative things. Cause you know, he was just sort of teaching me in the way that he would teach students. So I kind of grew up in this very creative environment that I try to pursue all the time still because of that. So it's funny, maybe kids of teachers, there's something about us that are <laughs> always yeah, looking for new stories. Like, we're just autodidactics, you know, right? It's just, like really like ingrained in us, even like, uh, yeah. And do you teach yourself? I do. I teach at NYU where you teach as well. Mm -hmm. um, but D different programs. Like, yes. Towards like geared towards like pre-college students that are interested in fashion. My class is called Intro to Fashion Design in New York City. Oh, nice. And do you teach them how to design similar hats to the ones you're making? Or do you sort of separate your own work from the student work? Um, I think it's good to separate myself from my own work when I teach, but then I also show them my work, um, eventually as well. Um, so it's usually just people who are anyone who's interested in fashion. They don't really have to have any like background in it or have even had to like take in any art classes while they're in high school, um, per se. So, um, it's pretty open-ended and, um, I try to, um, have them make five croquis, which are like, uh, fashion, models that are wearing like um different outfits that they create um fashion illustrations basically and um they present it at the end of the class and um like try to un like sh explore and share like what their concepts are and how they came about to like making their collection and do you give them sort of a prompt uh with a story aspect as well i mean i've, I've never gone to fashion school so i don't know how it works <laughs> but it's because so much of your work seems like it's based on these myths and stories do you ever prompt your students in that same way? I also have went to RISD for art history. So I really love like learning about like the history of like art and fashion, like fashion. I think it just like intuitively, I just, I, I just love it. Like I was always interested in what I was wearing when I was a kid um, and like to dress up, but like in my own way. 
Um, so I think that's just like a natural extension of, of like it as well. Like I never really studied fashion, um, other than maybe millinery, which is like hat design. Um, but like, I think when you pair like my hats to like clothing, of course, like when, when you have it on someone, it's just like a natural, like extension to like the concept of, of your hat to like whatever, um, apparel you're wearing, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. What are some typical tools that you use regularly to create your work? Like either digital tools or physical tools? Uh, I mean, you have to be really good with your hands, I would say. Um, be able to like, it's good to have like um, rulers and graphs. Um, like as you can see, like the, like one of the hats that I created um, called the like the vortex hat mm -hmm. um, it's a virtual hat um in irl or in real <laughs> what does that mean so like i know you're into augmented reality yeah somewhat you're um you're kind of it, it, it like projects like shapes and into how does it work exactly so you're like overlaying a digital layer onto the real world um, oh. and that could be like, you know, scanned or, uh, it could reference an image that it recognizes in the real world to, to overlay that digital layer. Like, it's funny cause my stuff is like how a digital piece would be translated into real life. Yeah, I know. Like, it's, it's like real reality. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all, it's like almost like a joke in some ways too. Uh, like I, I like optical illusions and just like messing with people's minds. Like, cause like I, I like to, um, like whatever like sparks my curi curiosity like I lean towards that you know and like optical illusions and like fantasy and um things that like really like engage me um I just like I, I like to gravitate towards that and um I came across this concept called the new aesthetic which is a term used to reference how like visual language of digital technology and the internet and the physical world um they blend like how it blends with the virtual and the physical. So it's kind of a mind game in some ways like that too. Yeah, I think it's interesting right now, so many people are making these face filters on Instagram, um, but you're making these face filters in real life in a way. Like your your hats are filters for your face, um, but they're physical, they're not digital, but they're made with digital means. So I think this idea of you're kind of creating these different version of augmented reality is really interesting. Yeah, like... It, that's that's what I that's what like um, engages me because I want to make things that I haven't um, seen before, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've never seen hats like these before, <laughs> and that's why I want to buy one of the Vortex hats so bad. So the Vor let's get back to the Vortex hat. So the Vor how do you describe the way it looks to somebody? Uh, it's like minimal clean lines that fuse together um, in like a grid pattern, um, but in the shape of a ba baseball cap. So it's something, it's like a classic shape that like really never goes out of style, like, you know, baseball and, and caps, like, especially like New York, like New York Yankees, like cap, like that's pr something pretty um, evergreen, I would say. Um, so like, what's, what's interesting about it too, is like, because it's like a grid, it's so um, minimal that like, potentially I could even have it so that like, there could be shapes on it, like um, how like Crocs are, how you like put in things, um, like different little like doodads, like uh, like 
I'm interested in like potentially licensing my, licensing my stuff in, in the future. So um, like you can keep tabs on, on me for that. In the, future. <laughs> and the hat looks sort of like the bones of the skeleton of a baseball hat, right? Yeah. It's, it like, really it's like the wireframe. Like lines and how, how things are very like precise, um, like XYZ, like coordinates in a graph. Like I studied graphic design in school so like i love when things line up and like the kerning of words and just like how fonts are and how like you know certain fonts like i would never use like (laughs) you're not going to make the papyrus hat coming up soon no (laughs) (laughs) Uh, speaking of design like how do you differentiate between art and design in your own work um do you see them as completely separate or do you see them as is there an overlap for you Oh yeah, there's definitely like a hand in hand thing together with 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 art and design. Like for me, like I like it when there's the intersects between like art and fashion and technology and design, like the ergonomics of how like form follows function. Like just going to RISD, like it it really gave me like a solid foundation in into like whatever like I would want to do, like from like the foundations of like taking drawing classes to like sculpture to 2d like it really like formed like a solid background for me to like build anything upon really and what are you working on now like what's the next hat you're going to design uh right now like i'm doing kind of some different iterations that i've been meaning to like work on that like i never really was able to uh, accomplish so like there's like there's I have plenty of different ideas that I just like they just need to come into existence and I think this is like the right time to do it. <laughs> Generating lots of ideas from your house. <laughs> yeah. Do you make do you fabricate everything from home or do you have like 3D printers at your house or are you sending the, these pieces out to get printed? Um I have a studio so it's like a live and work space thankfully so like um I could be working at on something at two in the morning and it's fine. Like I can just crash, you know? Yeah. Like sure. That's nice. Although also it's hard to separate that work-life balance sometimes. Yeah, it's true. Do you ever get sick of making hats? Right now? Like I think I'm still pretty obsessed with making hats. <laughs> uh, I, I want to be kind of diversifying like in the future, but I, I think that I still have a lot of different things that I want to like, tinker with and try to like resolve um on my end first before like i really kind of start branching up into other things and when you're watching love i i love design so like you know who knows maybe i could be designing an airplane one day i would (laughs) love to see that airplane with many faces on it (laughs) (laughs) uh do you ever walk around and just sort of look at people's hats and think oh god this hat is so boring i want (laughs) to spike spice it up in some way one of the many great things about New York City is like just going on the subway and seeing all the different people with their quirky or like um, classic styles. Like, you know, like um, I, I'm a huge fan of just like street style and just seeing what's like on the street, like because it's like in some ways the most homegrown and the most authentic, you know, versus something on the runway like that's already like completely like uh, pre-examined and like thought thought out from head to toe. Like I, I like I like seeing um like original people like um coming up with their own own thing and like twisting something on its side, you know. And do you see your work as fitting within streetwear, or do you think it's more of like a runway 
like it's it's made for the runway as sort of these couture pieces i'd like to say it, it graphs like all spectrums you know like having from like au couture to like like something that's very grab and go and like you just like walk off and you know bike ride around <laughs> yeah yeah i think we'll be seeing a lot more of your hats just around in general in the future i'm excited about it so before we go um i have some rapid fire questions for you this is what we do every time on state of the art these are just uh the first thing that pops into your mind as an answer okay uh do you have a fa- favorite or famous hat from history or fiction huh favorite hat I, I mean, I would say the sor- sorting hat from Harry Potter is a good one. <laughs> yeah, that is a classic uh, hat, I would say. <laughs> hat there. Um, is there anywhere we should or shouldn't wear a hat? Uh, I would say maybe like the swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you draw the line? Is it the swimming pool? Although my hats have been used in a swimming pool photo shoot, but like maybe not dunking your head with the hat in the swimming pool would be advised. <laughs> <laughs> but social situations, there's nothing in particular that you don't uh, you don't think hats are appropriate for. I think hats are perfect for going out and about and and parties, like and definitely balls if you can. <laughs> Galas. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. All right, maybe non-hat related questions. If there was one meal you had to eat for the rest of your life uh, every day, what would it be? Okay. I don't know if I want to share like where, what I love to eat like at a certain place because then it could be bombarded with lots of people. But um, I do love coconut shakes, like blended coconuts, where like uh, you blend the water with like the the the, sh- the thickness of the of the creamy parts. Um, is that know. a hint of, of of a place, or is the 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 place a completely different story? Uh, you can usually get them from um, specialty like health shops and stuff hmm. where they where they have like coconuts that you can just like um, they can break open and then blend the the in- interior with like a blender. Okay, so you're not giving away your place. That's what I've come to. I, I, okay, maybe I would say one of my favorite like little gems in New York City to go visit is Shea Josephine. Hmm. Um, it's like a little French bistro in the heart of like the theater district, um, around like 40, like 34th or 42nd street, like around that area. Um, and what's really great about it is like every time I, I, I walk in, they always like are so generous and, and give me like sweet potato fries and champagne every every time I walk in. Yeah. <laughs> is that because you're wearing one of the hats or do you just, uh, they just know you there? They, they know me there and, um, they, they think that I, I, they remind, they think that I remind them of like Josephine Baker. So what's great is like, it, it was started by two of the brothers, like sons of the rainbow tribe of Josephine Baker. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, excellent. If you ever get a chance, I highly recommend it. Like, uh, Jacqueline, Kennedy and her son would go and and dine there. And did they have sweet potato fries too and champagne? I'm not sure if they did, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question here: uh, If you if you to travel to anywhere in time, forwards or backwards, is there a particular time period you'd want to visit, and why? Maybe a hundred years ago in the 20s. And why? Because I love that like swinging, roaring 20s era. 
where like anything went and like it was just like completely like really like a, like pretty at the height of like cr- like creative things happening like Art Nouveau and um just like creative minds like in Paris like for example like Josephine Baker and um Salvador Dali and Picasso it, it was like really heightened time I guess you could also say like in the 80s too like when like the area of Studio 54 with like um Halston and Andy Warhol is also a great era that I would love to revisit yeah that sounds like it would be a fun time well, Heidi Lee how do we find your work for people to go check it out online so when you get a chance, check it out at, at Heidi underscore 337, H-E-I-D-I underscore 337. Great. Yeah, and we'll post uh, to our social media as well. Thank you so much for joining me, and I'm glad you're staying safe and healthy. Thank you so much, Gabe. Um, be safe, and thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of State of the Art. I'm Gabe BC. Uh, you can always follow me at Gabe BC. Uh, If you have any ideas or suggestions or comments you want to relay to us, you can send me an email at gabe at thestateoftheart.org. We're happy to read some questions on the air or uh, communicate directly with you through social media at State of the Art on Twitter and Instagram. State of the Art is an at-art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Uh, Wesson Stevens is our audio engineer extraordinaire and Vanessa Wilson is our producer. And I hope that they're all doing well and uh, I've been communicating with them a little bit and they seem like they're safe and healthy. And I hope Our audience is also uh, doing well and staying indoors and being safe. So we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks.